Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 75, The Conquest of Peru, part 14. This is the last episode in this series on the conquest of Peru. Today, we tie up all the loose ends and kill off most of the characters. With Almagro out the way, Pizarro appears to have won, and Almagro's challenge to his control of Peru did not die with the man himself. He still had supporters who opposed Pizarro, and importantly, they had a candidate to get behind. Twenty years earlier, back in Panama, Almagro had had some sort of relationship with an indigenous woman, who we only know by the Spanish name Ana Martinez. We don't know anything about her really, or how willingly she entered into this relationship but we do know that they had a son together. He had the same name as his father, so he's known to history as Diego de Almagro II. He's also sometimes known by the nickname El Mozo, a word which translates to something like the young man. Incidentally, it looks like de Almagro may have had another two daughters with another indigenous woman, which might shed some light on the nature of his relationship with Ana Martinez but reliable details about the existence of these two daughters are hard to come by. When still a child, El Mozo accompanied Almagro to Peru, arriving as Pizarro was in Cajamarca, capturing Atahualpa. Details of what he did in the intervening years are unknown. We can't say if he went to Chile, or if he stayed in either Cusco or Lima. Presumably, for the most part, he followed his father around Peru, watching and learning, being groomed as Almagro's heir. Even with Almagro out the way, and his position as the leader of the colony seemingly secure, as I mentioned, Pizarro was not universally popular. No leader can be completely confident of their rule in the lawless, frontier-style environment of a Spanish colony, which is still in the process of being created. It was a place of violence and ambition, far from royal oversight, and full of people who were also on the lookout for personal advancement. Alongside this, there was of course a faction of loyal Almagrists, who were unhappy with how things had gone. Many of them were veterans of the Chile expedition. Having fought against the Pizarros, their personal prospects were poor. While they weren't arrested or exiled from the colony, they were shunned, and overlooked when it came to handing out land and positions. So for them, the younger Almagro was an attractive figurehead, and in him they saw a possibility to improve their fortunes. One Sunday morning, three years after Almagro had been killed, 
a group of 20 of his followers broke down the door to Pizarro's house in Lima, brandishing swords. They had planned to ambush him as he made his way to church, but Pizarro had been warned. He had taken the warning only semi-seriously. Instead of leaving his house, he had got a priest to come to him to do the service. But he hadn't increased his security. He was eating lunch upstairs when the Almagrists broke in. He quickly tried to put on his armour and picked up a sword, as did the three or four companions he had with him. They defended themselves as best they could, but there were too many attackers. By the end of the fight, Pizarro was dead. For the assassins, the plan was now to put the younger Almagro in charge of the colony. When the remaining Pizarro brothers heard about what had happened, their intention was to fight back and retake control. Unbeknown to both sides, however, the king's patience with their infighting was at an end. He intended to take Peru off of both of them, and to put his own man in charge. He of course did not know about Pizarro's murder when he sent a man named Cristobal Vaca de Castro to become the new governor. His intention was for Pizarro to be brought back to Spain to defend himself in a trial for the killing of Almagro, the mistreatment of Manco and the Inca population in general, and for his general disobedience. We are now back in the familiar, almost repetitive situation of having multiple Spanish factions competing with each other for control. The Almagrists seized Lima, Cusco and the south of the colony. The Pizarro brothers were scattered in the north, and so they and their supporters tried to come together. Vaca de Castro was also in the north, having landed in southern Colombia with the intention of marching down to Peru. Every Spaniard started to think about which side they should take, while the three factions decided how to proceed in light of these changes in the situation. As far as Vaca de Castro was concerned, the seizure of the colony was an act of rebellion against the king, even if Almagro's supporters had not known that he was coming with new orders. Almagro quickly realised that Vaca de Castro was not going to look upon him sympathetically, and he decided he had no choice but to fight. The Pizarros decided to align themselves with Vaca de Castro, and being geographically in the same place, they succeeded in winning his acceptance of their help. It was probably an uneasy alliance, but it was an alliance nonetheless. Even Manco tried half-heartedly to involve himself. He would always favour Almagro's faction over the Pizarros, so he provided them with a warning about Vaca de Castro's coming. It seems he was unwilling or unable to actually provide concrete support, however. It all came down to a battle at a place called Chupas. Once again, the ordinary Inca population is said to have come out to watch. This time, having given up any real hope that the two sides might destroy each other, they are said to have treated it as entertainment, picking sides to support and cheering them on from the sidelines. It was Vaca de Castro who won, and this marked the end of the Almagrist faction. Almagro himself escaped, and was possibly heading to Vilcabamba to see if Manco would take him in. He was captured on the way, however, and executed soon afterwards. Despite having taken his side and presented themselves as loyalists to the king, the remaining Pizarros were not given control of Peru by Vaca de Castro. That remained firmly in the king's hands, 
through his representative. Of course, history never ends, and attempts to draw neat lines always fail, as events bleed into each other. In a few years' time, Vaca de Castro and the Pizarros will be up to their old games again, and we will tell that story at some point soon. I have to end this somewhere, however, so for now it's safe to simplify matters, and say that all that fighting was for nothing, as far as the Spanish protagonists were concerned. In broad terms, that was it. All of the many factions, Spanish and Inca, had, after a lot of bloodshed, ended up losing out. And from now on, the king will send someone, periodically, to take control of what he will soon turn into the Viceroyalty of Peru. In this case, the manic greed and ruthless interest in nobody except yourself, which served Spanish conquistadors so well, and without which the conquest of Peru wouldn't have been possible, had this time been taken too far, and it actually became the thing which defeated them all. It had ended up destroying almost everyone, and prompting the king to dispossess the few survivors. If you look at the picture of a conquest, in the biggest, most basic way, the story can be reduced down to Peru belonging to the Inca, and then being conquered by the Spanish. A more detailed examination reveals that armies, led by Huasca, Atahualpa, Pizarro, Almagro, Quisquis, Manco, Almagro II, and the surviving Pizarro brothers, had all fought with and conspired with each other at various points to take a shot at power. None had succeeded. Almost none had survived. So with all the internal Spanish politics out the way, we can deal with the other major issue which faced the fledgling colony. In the interests of telling a neat story, we have left Manco Inca and the remains of the empire's leadership in Vilcabamba since he lifted the siege of Cusco and retreated there. As we've seen, he was finished as a major actor in the story of the conquest, but he would not have given up his dream of one day driving the Spanish out and reclaiming his empire. Furthermore, although weakened and despite having their own squabbles to concentrate on, the Spanish could not just leave him there and ignore him. He was too politically important to be left to his own devices and potentially given the chance to reorganise. While he lacked the military strength to mount a campaign, and as it turned out, he would never have this, the Spanish didn't know that, and they couldn't take the risk that he would slowly rebuild his numbers. A conceivable scenario was a general popular rebellion from within the territory the Spanish controlled. If that was to happen, he could easily return to Cusco without having to do much fighting himself. The Spanish then wanted to deal with him, and it was actually Almagro, the elder, who had made the first attempt. While in Cusco, between having taken the city and the Battle of Salinas, which we covered last episode, he sent Ogonez to pursue Manco to Vilcabamba. Ogonez took with him 200 Spanish soldiers, and as he approached Manco's territory, he found it protected by a network of border fortifications. It took a lot of effort, but eventually he managed to break past them and take control of the settlement which Manco had made into his new capital. At this point, however, Manco had adopted the guerrilla tactics, which he would use from now on, and everyone had melted into the jungle. The Spanish looted some gold, but they were unable to do any real lasting damage. Perhaps with time they would have been able to track Manco down, 
but Orgonez was recalled by Almagro to help with the upcoming confrontation with the Pizarros. Using small bands which could easily appear from nowhere and disappear just as abruptly when they faced resistance, Manco took to constantly raiding Spanish settlements. He would attack isolated encomiendas and villages, or intercept groups of Spaniards as they travelled along lonely roads, only choosing targets which he knew they could defeat. During this period, before their showdown for control of the colony, Pizarro also made his own attempt to deal with Manco, but he severely underestimated the amount of effort which would be required. Sending only 30 men, this small force marched straight into unknown territory and found themselves ambushed by a much larger group of Inca soldiers. The resulting confrontation was very one-sided. Only a few Spaniards managed to get away and returned to Pizarro to tell him what had happened. The most determined attempt to defeat Manco was initiated by Pizarro once he had won the battle with Almagro. It was led by his brother Gonzalo, and it consisted of around 300 Spanish soldiers and a large group of Inca who would be led by Pauyu. Perhaps partially because it had not been repaired after Orgonez's attack, but certainly in part because Manco knew that the Spanish were coming, Gonzalo found the capital of Vilcabamba empty. He continued onwards, up and over a high pass, and down the other side, into the foothills of the Andes, and the beginning of the Amazon. The path took them across a bridge and into a canyon. They did not realise that Manco had just finished building this bridge and creating a new road, so that the Spanish would end up in this vulnerable position. From above, he attacked with stones and arrows, leading to a day-long battle in which the Spanish tried without success to defend themselves from unseen enemies in the thick forest. After retreating and regrouping, they assessed the damage and made a plan. Thirty-six Spanish had been killed, along with an unknown number of Pauyu's Inca allies. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each, then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gonzalo sent back to Cusco for reinforcements and attempted unsuccessfully to persuade Manco to return with him and live out the rest of his life in peaceful comfort. The Inca had fortified the canyon walls, and so Gonzalo's next attack focused on trying to destroy these fortifications. This was also unsuccessful, mainly because Manco had managed to capture both a stash of Spanish guns and some European soldiers who they forced to teach them how to use them. For the first time, to my knowledge, the Spanish came under fire from their own advanced weaponry. A few days later the reinforcements arrived, and Gonzalo started the day as he usually did, mounting a futile attack on the fortifications. In doing so, he kept the Inca busy. He had, however, sent his new men to hack their way through the jungle and climb the canyon further down. Once they had reached the top, they attacked Manco from behind. This worked, and he was forced to retreat. It wasn't the victory which Gonzalo had wanted, 
but at least it wasn't the defeat it had looked like it might become. They sacked the town that had become the newest Inca capital, and they found Manco Inca's wife there. Manco himself and his army had disappeared into the jungle, and so the whole expedition did little to change the course of events. You might remember the wife, Kura Okya. She was the one who Gonzalo had earlier demanded from Manco, an event which appears to have been the final straw and the thing which caused him to rebel. It's unclear how she managed to get away from Cusco to join him, but she must have done. Now she was carried back to the city, angry with the lack of progress. Pizarro ordered her killed. Then he ordered the same for many of the most important Inca nobles who remained in Cusco. This included Villacumu, the priest who had abandoned Almagro's expedition to Chile. From then on, Pizarro's approach to Vilcabamba was to isolate it while he focused on other things. For the most part, he directed development efforts towards other parts of the territory, and the ever-increasing stream of new Spanish arrivals were directed to settle on the coast, in the north, and down to the south in Bolivia. He ordered a series of fortified towns to be built in the highlands, the intention being that these would encircle the Neo-Inca state and prevent them from raiding the bits of the colony he really cared about. They would be frontier towns, and no attempt was made to develop the region further. He chose Almagro supporters to be the ones to live in them. Manco's story ends in 1544. He had agreed to take in the Almagro supporters who had assassinated Pizarro, and who were now fugitives. Those who had survived, that is. For some reason, their relationship turned sour, and they assassinated Manco as well. This was a pretty stupid move. As soon as they discovered what had happened, the guards moved in and killed them all. There were, of course, technically two different states claiming to be the true continuation of the Inca Empire. The Neo-Inca state was the first, but the Spanish in Peru and Pauyu claimed that the empire had never fallen. It continued with Pauyu as emperor. Having originally been given the puppet title by Almagro, Pizarro had seen use in keeping the pretense up. For his part, Pauyu seemed happy enough to live out his life in comfort in exchange for not rocking the boat. He had no power, but he could still claim to be emperor. This arrangement died with him. When he passed away in 1549, the Spanish did not bother to choose a successor. Power had been transparently consolidated into their governmental system by this point, and it had been done without provoking a rebellion. They believed a figurehead was no longer required. Despite the backing of the Pizarras, what with all the politicking, Pauyu's claim was actually less secure than it might have appeared. The king, having weighed up what had happened in Peru, sent instructions with Vaca de Castro about how to deal with Manco and the Neo-Inca state. This would turn out to be irrelevant, as Manco had no intention of engaging with them, but the king actually viewed him as innocent, and his rebellion as justified. His offer to Manco was that he could return to Cusco, and in the king's eyes it would be him, and not Pauyu, who really held the title. Of course, Manco's position would have been no better than Pauyu's. He wouldn't have any power. As Manco refused, 
Pao Yu remained the de facto emperor. After Manco died, control of the state passed to his child son, Sairi Tupac. He ruled for 15 years. During the first 10 of these, until he became an adult, he was assisted by regents. The Spanish were still intent on dealing with the situation using diplomacy. Although the Inca title was now finished, as far as they were concerned, they offered Sairi Tupac land and comfort if he would end the hostilities and become a Spanish subject. There was a lot of umming and ahhing, but he did actually agree in the end. For a brief period it looked like the Neo-Inca state might come to an end, but then he died. There were suspicions that the Spanish had poisoned him, and the new leader, a brother of his, called Tito Cusi, preferred to rule his independent state, rather than living under the Spanish. His rule lasted eight years, and followed a similar pattern to that of his predecessor. In the last couple of years, the Spanish did succeed in getting him to engage with the idea of giving up his resistance. He was baptised, and there was a flow of people and cooperation between the Spanish and Inca states. Tito Cusi worked with a Spanish friar to write an account of the conquest, an invaluable source which gives an Inca perspective on the events. He too died, however, and there were again suspicions of a poisoning. The new leader was another of Manco's sons. His name was Tupac Amaru. The Spanish had run out of patience at this point. After all the aborted attempts at diplomacy, they decided to mount a military campaign to deal with the issue once and for all. They besieged Vilcabamba, and although the Inca resisted for a while, the Spanish eventually managed to conquer them. Tupac Amaru managed to escape into the jungle, but it wasn't long before he was captured. The Spanish brought him to Cusco and hung him. There will be a couple of big rebellions, which we will talk about in the future. But this was the final, final end to the conquest. The end of the Neo-Inca state, and the last vestiges of indigenous resistance. They had held out until 1572, a full 45 years after the Spanish had first landed at Tumbes and discovered the existence of the Inca. It was 40 years after the capture of Atahualpa, and 35 after Manco had abandoned the Cusco region and founded his Neo-Inca state. We've already seen what happened to most of the major characters in this story. Hernando de Luque, if you can still remember him, was quickly sidelined and slipped into obscurity. You could argue that he was perhaps the only real winner in all this, he can't have been happy to have played such a minor role and got nothing out of the conquest, having been one of the people who initially conceived of it. Yet he is almost the only one who didn't end up dead or imprisoned, so perhaps staying at home was the right choice to make. His two partners, Pizarro and Almagro, were dead, as was Almagro's son. Orgonez was dead, as was Juan Pizarro. All of the major characters on the Inca side were killed in the fighting. As you can see, your chances of surviving this game, even if you won it, were slim, and hardly anyone lived to actually enjoy their winnings. There were, however, five prominent conquistadors who we have met during this story, and who did survive. The first three are de Soto, Gonzalo Pizarro, and Alonso de Alvarado. 
All of these men will be involved in further events, and so as much as I'd like to tie things up neatly, I will not finish off their stories here. They deserve episodes of their own at some point in the future. Hernando Pizarro also survived, but like his deceased brothers, he wasn't able to enjoy his successes. He had been sent back to Spain to make the Pizarro case in their conflict with Almagro. As we've discovered, the king was fed up and largely blamed the brothers. Hernando was imprisoned for having acted against the wishes of the king, and he spent 20 years in jail. On his release, he seems to have decided to live out the rest of his days in quiet, unambitious peace back in Trujillo, the town where the Pizarros had first come from. He had about 17 years there before he died, and he doesn't appear to have done anything of note in that time. The final character, who we haven't accounted for, is Bel Alcazar, the captain who had been left in charge of the north, and who had tried to make a break into Colombia to conquer territory for himself. He was the one who Almagro had succeeded in bringing back into line when he went up there seeing off Quisquis and the older de Alvarado. Bel Alcazar wasn't done with his ambitions to form his own northern viceroyalty. After all, the new colony in Peru was still completely cut off, in overland terms, from the Spanish bases around the Caribbean. Everyone who had arrived had come down by boat from Panama. But Alcazar will be the protagonist of his own episode, most likely the next one. At some point as well, I hope to do an episode which examines what life was like in the early days of the colony, once the conquest was complete. Rather than covering the events, like I have in this series, I hope to have a look at daily life for both Spaniards and Inca, and look at how the colony functioned. I need to find some source material for this, however, so that will be at some point later on. For now, though, that's it. This is the end of the series on the conquest of Peru. I hope you've enjoyed it, and thank you for sticking with me through the enormous gaps between episodes. If you've enjoyed the series, and the podcast as a whole. I'd really appreciate it if you took a couple of minutes to leave a review wherever you get your podcast from. It really, really helps the show grow and it helps new people discover it. If you've really, really enjoyed it and you're feeling generous, it is possible to make a small donation to cover the costs of running the show. There's information about how to do it in a link in the show notes. I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's already done this. I really, really appreciate it. Until next time, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website, www.maxsargent.com slash the history of Latin America. And that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to get in contact at History of Latin America Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America 
All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash m-a-x-s-e-r-j-e-a-n-t photo. Thanks for listening. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.